Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Igloo. If you've ever used SharePoint or have an intranet that feels like it was built in the 90s, you know what it means for it to be dull and unengaging. We're going to fix that for you. Sign up at igloosoftware.com slash smart people and use it for free with up to 10 of your favorite coworkers or customers. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. So pumped that you're here today, like really, thank you for listening, excited for the episode that we're about to bring you. I just, I love doing this. I love doing this because I love talking to people like our guest this week, who just inspired me, and by the end of it, I was so excited, he was generous with his time. It's just great connecting with people who are fun to talk to, smart, and, and happy to be part of this. This week, we're speaking with Chris Roebuck. And as I mentioned, Chris was not only generous with his time, but he is ex being extremely generous with his newest best-selling book, Lead to Succeed, the only leadership book you need. And here's why. He is going to give away 25 books to Smart People Podcast listeners. And then the first 100 purchased through our link will be signed. Which is crazy. It was so We were so glad that he would do that. And I'll tell you, the book's amazing. First, let me tell you a little bit more about Chris. We all know everybody everywhere is under pressure to work harder, right? The, every company is saying, do more with less. 
And a lot of us have to just work and get paid to survive, right? That's the nature of the beast. The problem is we don't feel motivated at work. We don't care about it oftentimes. We don't feel like we're part of something. It's, it's just not a good place to be. Well, what Chris explains is that comes down to leadership. To be a good leader, you have to motivate, you have to inspire, and have people be better, but not through trickery or incentives, but really through helping them see the greater vision and through getting them up every day to do something and change the world in that way. So in Chris's book, Lead to Succeed, he talks about various ways that as a leader, you can motivate, inspire, and really what is necessary to get people in your organization or really in many facets of life. So if you're a coach, you know, you have your players. If you're a teacher, you have your students. Manager, obviously your employees. Parent, you even have your kids, right? There are things you need to do to lead them. And that's not just telling them, it's also showing them. And these are all very important things in today's society where we need somebody to look to. We need those people where we can say, I'm going to go to bat with that person. So that's what we cover today. And, and Chris does a great job in his book, Lead to Succeed. There's great quotes throughout the book on leadership. There's graphs and visuals, you know, things you can work through, bullet points. Just a huge fan. So if you like what you hear and you want a free book, all you have to do is email Chris at chris at chrisroebuck.net. And Roebuck is spelled R-O-E-B-U-C-K dot net. So email him and just say, hey, Chris, heard you on Smart People Podcast, would love a book. And the first 25 people are going to get one. And then the first 100 people to buy the book by going to www.leadtosucceed.me will get a signed copy. Best-selling book just came out. All right, time to let you hear about leadership from Chris. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We got some exciting stuff coming up, and I'm going to be sending out a newsletter tomorrow, which is Monday, and um, look forward to connecting with you there. If you like it, please go head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a comment. Really appreciate it. Tell your friends. Hope you enjoy this episode with Chris Roebuck. All right, Chris. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, this this topic on leadership is something that it's an interesting one for me. Uh, in the organization I'm in, it's extremely important. I'm in a pretty uh, big leadership role for one of the first times in my career, and uh, it's exciting. And and also, leadership is covered often by a lot of people, a lot of books. But yours, and, and thank you for sending a copy in advance, and I say this in all honesty, was different in the sense that I love the, the comparisons it draws between work now, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, work across the globe, companies, organizations. It's such a useful message for everyone in every walk of life that I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, you know, your journey and lead to succeed. It's probably really simple because... At the most basic level, we're all human beings. And at the most basic level, we want to have a rewarding, fulfilling lives. We want to be recognized for what we achieve. Uh, and many of us want to contribute to the common good. And really, that's that's just what I'm trying to set out as a message, that that is quite simply what we all want to do. And to enable other people to achieve that is really what leadership is about, no matter where you are, what you do, uh, or who you report to. 
Well, and the reason I think that what you just said is so important is twofold. One, when you mention we all want to contribute to the common good. I think that that is something that the the vast majority of people do want, but it's not always something we recognize. So, you know, we're not always taught that. We're not taught to look at that more. We're thinking, how do we provide? How do we have success? What's our, you know, we're looking at our own ego and how people are judging us. And it it took me personally, I know, years to, to kind of shed that and then realize, what do I really want out of this life? And it does come down to that let's uh, let's leave the world a better place in some capacity. At its most basic, that's absolutely it. I think we have to remember that if you apply some very simple principles, you know that for the world to operate effectively, everybody has to do their own thing, but they have to do it within the community, the society, the nation, the team, the organization, however you wish to describe it. Because as human beings generally speaking we like to operate in groups and in terms of practicalities it is more effective for us to operate in groups than it is uh, as individuals so that's the general underlying principle i think that i have observed over sort of 30 years of looking at leadership across the world in all its different forms different organizations different cultures different situations Set against that, obviously the world is changing and and the world is changing at an increasing rate. And as a result of that, the environment within which we have to deliver leadership, be that the organizational environment or the social environment, has also moved on as well. Obviously, we've had the financial crisis, which has had significant impact on how organizations operate. So the structure of organizations in the last few years has changed significantly as well. So there are basic principles of leadership that are continuing that are 2,000 or so years old, but we're in a new world. So I'm thinking that really – the key message is there are core things we need to do as leaders to get the best out of people that have always been there. I mean, there's a beautiful quote by Lao Tse, who's, who's a, a Chinese philosopher from 500 BC, who said, tell me and I forget, show me and I remember, involve me and I understand. Now, as I said, that was said 500 BC. <laughs> But exactly the same thing applies in organizations today. So we haven't really changed that much, but the world has moved on. So I I sort of term it new leadership for a new world. And that's really what the book was all about and what my ideas are all about. Taking those core principles, we know work to get people to give their best and adapting them to the new world we find ourselves in. Absolutely. And I think there's probably people right now going, okay, you know, I I get it. Um, My boss, eh, not such a great leader. Or, oh, maybe my direct reports don't think I'm such a great leader. But, you know, for those people that either think they're not in an important leadership role, perhaps they're not in the quote unquote leadership role. Why is it important for everyone in personal life, business, you know, in kind of an all encompassing way? At its most basic level, we interact with people everywhere, be that our boss, the people who work for us, the people who work with us, the clients we meet, or wherever. And many of the things that a good leader does is about enhancing 
the personal relationship with somebody else to get the best out of them. Now, those general principles don't just apply to someone who's working for you. If you're looking at the principle of working with somebody to get the best out of them and the best out of you, that applies to your boss, that applies to your clients, that applies to your peers, that even applies to your next door neighbors, and you could even say it applies to your children. You know, one of the things that I've heard you say a couple times now, and I'm such a fan of it, is you say you, you say leaders, basically their job is to get the best out of people. And I, I love saying the best out of people instead of the most out of people. Because one of the things that was really apparent in your book is that it's not about just maximizing bottom line or getting people to work late because they feel you know, for whatever reason, it's really to optimize their natural abilities to to push them further so that they feel more involved, more um, appreciative and just energized. And that is what a leader does. It's not, hey, let's fire half the company and still get the same bottom line. Well, the, the, the really interesting thing is that there is an increasing body of evidence that suggests that Organizations that focus on cost-cutting, organizations that pressurize people very, very heavily into just delivering, just getting the most out of people, actually do not perform as effectively commercially and therefore do not actually make as much money as organizations that concentrate on trying to get the best out of their people so that those people deliver the best for the organization. It is absolutely simple common sense that if you do the latter, you're going to get more performance, and, and all the figures suggest that. The, the core issue, I think, is even more important now because since the financial crisis, organizations have changed very, very significantly. I mean, if, if we look at some of the statistics you know, between 2009 and, and 2012, uh, surveys of employees have come up with figures suggesting 88% say they are working much harder. And in fact, 55% actually say, I've got too much work to do in the time that I'm given to do it. Now, that's rocketed from 30% in 2009 to 55% in 2012. And linked to that, effectively, because we have had headcount cuts in organizations, we've got, therefore, fewer people doing the same work, which means that the people that are doing the work are having to do more work. And not only that, they're having to work with people in different areas Therefore, they're having to deal with people in different locations. They're having to deal with outsourcing. So they don't have to deal with somebody who's in the same building. They're having to deal with somebody who may be thousands of miles away and with somebody who may actually be working for a supplier rather than being in the organization as they were previously. And so therefore, the whole complexity of getting your job done even if you're not a leader, has got much higher. Therefore, if you are a leader and you're trying to lead people who are in this new environment, it's become even tougher. And the really interesting thing is that this focus on getting your job done, you have to do your job, this is what's important, is actually now counterproductive to some degree. The figures would suggest that if we look at what people do 
outside their own specific job responsibilities. Because there are fewer people in organizations now, those people have to do more than just their own job. The statistics are interesting. You know, there's one set of statistics that suggests that between 2002 and 2012, the importance of just doing your own job to profitability dropped from 78% to 51%. And the importance of collaborating with other people outside your official job responsibilities to achieve what your organization wants rose from 22 to 49. So what that means is now we're in a position where doing your job is only half the importance of profitability in terms of delivering it. The other half is about working with other people to achieve the wider picture for your organization. Now, that's not, that's not what leaders are traditionally trained to do. They are traditionally trained to make people focus on their jobs. Now, you operate in a smaller organization, and the entrepreneurs who are listening and those who operate in small organizations will absolutely understand that in an organization like that, you can't just do your job because you'd never get the work done. Everybody has to get involved. Everybody has to do a bit of this and a bit of that, no matter what their official responsibilities are. But in the big organization, actually now the same principle is true, but those leaders have never been trained to do that. And that's why this new world and the new thinking that's in the book is so critical. You know, you it's it's like we planned this. You naturally took me into the thing that I wanted to talk about, which was I've noticed it a lot. And I know even our, our CEO at the, at the organization I work for deals with it in, in such a small organization that's bootstrapping but making a lot of progress. So you have growth versus resources versus time. It's hard. You, you actually can't silo, okay, I have to do my job, then I have to do the other things required of the organization, and I have to be a leader and that go-to for people who depend on me. So it's, there's a lot going on, and I think oftentimes the what did you get done trumps the how did you lead others to get things done. And so I, w- I wanted to ask you, how do, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do both? How do you uh, break it up? Because in my opinion, they're both full-time jobs, being, being a leader slash manager and then being the, you know, whatever your title is, you know, marketing or operations or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think we, we, we need to understand the sort of two elements of it and, 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 and where we are. Uh, if we look at where we are in terms of how leaders work, I think it's worth saying that there is a perception that big organizations employ most people. Actually, that's not true. If you if you look across the world, it's actually small and middle-sized organizations that employ most people in most economies. Whilst the big global corporations are the ones we tend to think about, they don't actually employ the most people. So it, it's, it's actually not the big organizations where uh, the leadership challenges have the greatest impact on society. In terms of why people aren't getting what you suggested. Uh, and the picture's pretty bleak. I mean, there's one survey that showed that that most people would only want to work for one in three of their previous bosses, i.e. 
two-thirds of the bosses I've had, I would never want to meet again, which isn't exactly encouraging. <laughs> um, you know, not only that, but the interesting thing is 60% of people surveyed turned around and said, I actually want to give my best to the organization. That actually poses an interesting question as to why 40% say they're not interested in giving their best to the organization, which is indicative of the problem. But even the 60% who want to give their best, of those, some 40% say that the actual organizational system and the way they're being led stops them doing it. So the organization, by virtue of the way it's working is actually frustrating its own achievement. And, and the, the frustrating and really worrying thing about this is, is that if we look at what that situation does to the people who are operating in it, it doesn't just have an effect in work. It has an effect out of work. And one survey showed that 59% of people said that workplace stress had actually led to them behaving badly towards friends or family. So we must never forget that what happens in the workplace also impacts upon people's family lives and it impacts upon the community as well. So I just wanted to emphasize that because we like psychologically to put what happens at work into a little box and, thinks it, and think it stays there. It doesn't. You know, that's why the leadership we need is, is not just about producing the most. It's about making a difference and transforming people's lives. So going on to how we do that, given that we're not doing a very good job, and, and I don't believe, to be honest, we have many bad leaders out there. We don't have people who deliberately go to work to give other people a hard time. What we have is we have and lots of surveys bear this out in, in terms of the leadership development that people have been given over their careers, particularly in those smaller organizations who don't have as much money as the bigger organizations. The problem is really ineffective leadership. It's people who've never been shown how to get the best out of people. It's people who've never been given the opportunity to lead people effectively. And the really frustrating thing is that it would be so simple so quick and almost cost-free for all of those ineffective leaders out there to become effective. And the frustration that I feel is that if I look back at my travels around the world, you know, everything from investment banks in New York, top law firms in London, the UK National Health Service, um, even the Myanmar Red Cross, the Chinese Space Program, uh, and other organizations of all different types, you know, UBS, the global bank I used to work for. What I see time and time again, thousands of people who really are not A, being given the opportunity to give their best at work and therefore B, not giving their best at work. And the ridiculous thing is we know that if they did, 60% of people could produce 30% more effort in the same time for the same money if they had an effective leader. It's one of those things. It's like a it's a stat that we never hear. I think intuitively a lot of bosses know, but they go, "Well, you know, I it's just not something I can do. It's not something I can learn." Or 
oh, I'm a, I'm a good leader. So I, I think I got that under control. And, you know, I, I want to, uh, you know, you talk about Mach 2 leadership, and I want to get into that. I want to talk about the details. I want people to walk away and say, oh, here are a few things I can bring to my organization or my relationships. But before we do that, I also, you know, one of the things on this show, we talk to a lot of experts in various fields. And as, as we kind of mentioned, there's a lot of people who talk about leadership, but you've truly been doing this type of work your whole life. I thought one of the interesting things that I found is you were nominated by HR Magazine as one of the top most influential HR thinkers. And for my first thought was I didn't know there was an HR Magazine. Um, but my second thought is I, I think this is a subject where we need to hear from somebody like yourself, somebody who's who's done it with large organizations, small organizations all across the world. And so what I wanted to talk about now is kind of how you amassed this level of expertise, how, how, you know, how you got started and the journey to kind of gather this from all walks of life and all organizations. I think my journey has been one that certainly hasn't been a a, a, a straight route in any way. It's been a very meandering path. Uh, when recruitment consultants look at my CV, they give me a slightly funny look because I've done some very varied things over my career. Um, my entry into business was actually when I was a student uh, and I was elected to be responsible for the committee that was responsible for the delivery of student services at my university, uh, which was University College London, supplying 7,000 undergraduates, uh, food, drink, beer, etc., etc. And anyone who knows about universities knows that the possibility that the bars will not be able to serve beer uh, is something that is a frightening prospect for any uh, organization (laughs) like that. So, yeah, we were we were turning over a significant amount of money and we had 28 full-time or part-time staff. So I was dropped into this world of, well, you know, how do we keep this business running? How do we make sure the staff are happy at the tender age of 19? You know, subsequent to that, I trained to be an accountant or rather I trained for two years to be an accountant and I found that the world of accountancy to me seemed so thrilling that um, I actually – left and went and did something slightly different, which was to join the British Army, which (laughs) some people say was a little bit of an overreaction to accountancy. But five years in the British Army and going through Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, um, uh, being a professional army officer was certainly an experience um, leading, in the end, 150 soldiers. Uh, I was also in the Royal Engineers, which meant, similar to the American Corps of Engineers, that meant that I was also... Um, given a significant training in things around project management uh, and that sort of structured approach to delivering large projects. So not only did that give me a real insight into true leadership in its most simple and focused form, which obviously uh, institutions like West Point, etc., over in the States give as well, it also gave me some of the planning skills 
So there was that amazing founding. And then after the army, I set up my own business. So I've experienced being an entrepreneur. Um, and funnily enough, the business as an entrepreneur, having had leadership experience in the army, was to help other small organizations develop their leadership capability as well. So I was an entrepreneur helping other entrepreneurs and other small organizations. So that was really interesting uh, in terms of how that small organization where the entrepreneur is trying to expand but isn't really a good manager because they love being an entrepreneur and not a manager was something that I found really interesting. I then did an MBA and, and the MBA got me linked into some bigger organizations like the Bank of England. I worked with London Underground who provide the Underground Railway in, um, in London, obviously, which is a really heavy unionized heavy industry type thing. I then got involved with KPMG and setting up an outsourcing business with them in London. So that was the business startup, selling the concepts to major organizations. I then worked with HSBC, the global bank, uh, and then UBS, where I was global head of leadership. And in those organizations, because they're global, you have a truly amazing spread of cultures and insights and experiences. And all of them have to be taken and aligned on into what the organization wants to do. So if you have 80,000 people in nearly 100 countries, aligning those into a single strategy, culture and set of deliverables, particularly if they're split into different business divisions that are very, very different in what they do. I mean, for example, on one extreme within the banking world, you'll have those people that are trading who have a transactional mindset, operate on price, etc. On the other end within the banking industry, you have people that give personal advice through private banking wealth management who think in a relationship-based way, who take a significant amount of time long-term to build up deep personal relationships with their clients. And therefore, within that one entity, you have to match and balance all the competing interests and perspectives and experiences, not only of those different business models, but also the cultures from the US, from UK, from Europe, from Middle East, from Asia. And you know, we think of Asia. People say, oh, Asia, that's one culture. It's not one culture at all. It's a vast breadth of different cultures. So that was deeply in, in, insightful in terms of how you get such a diverse group of people to want to achieve the same thing. After that, that went so well that we won Best Company for Leaders 2005, various other awards globally. The project became a Harvard Business School case study. And I, and I left the world of high finance uh, to think about, well, if this works in high finance, might it work elsewhere? And I then spent nearly two years in the UK National Health Service applying some of those ideas in a totally different situation with hospitals, general practitioner doctors, first-line doctors who, who you go and visit on a weekly basis. Uh, the National Health Service in UK employs 1.4 million people across 400 constituent organizations, ranging from three or four doctors with maybe 12, 13 staff 
to top international hospitals, uh, e.g. University College Hospital London or St. Bartholomew's Hospital London, that employ thousands of people and have been around for hundreds of years. And what was really interesting was that those basic principles of how you inspire people, how you align people to a common purpose, how you get the best out of people, and the supporting systems to deliver that were exactly the same as international banks. And it became apparent to me that there was something going on here about what we as human beings believe in and allow us to give our best performance. And I went on to work with organizations, as I've said, diverse as the Myanmar Red Cross, Red Cross in UK, international law firms, and speaking to groups, uh, for example, the Chinese space program, uh, major Chinese state corporations. And the funny thing is that all of them, all of their people and all of their leaders actually want the same thing. And I'll happily tell you what those things are in a moment, if you like. We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, guys, our sponsor today is Igloo, and it's totally fitting given that we're talking about the work environment and leadership because the work environment's a unique place. It's always been a very social place, right? There's the telephone calls and the meetings to the conversations around the proverbial water cooler. But then when you look at the systems we use today at work, which is email and ECM, CRM, ERP, all these uh, acronyms, it, it borders on antisocial and it leaves us feeling chained to our desks. So Igloo is a web-based platform for collaborating at work. I love this product because as many of you know, I work at a very small startup nonprofit and we're always trying to figure out different ways to connect with each other and stay on the same page. And Igloo does such a great job at that. So Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's built with easy-to-use integrated apps like file sharing, blogs, shared calendars, task management, much, much more. Everything you need within your organization so that you can work better together. You can co-author documents, share status updates, and manage your projects all in this one place. Plus, you don't have to be a certified anything to set up or use Igloo. It's all widget-based and drag-and-drop. If your company has a legacy internet built on SharePoint or old portal technology, you should take Igloo for a spin. So sign up at igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople. And you can use it for free with up to 10 of your favorite coworkers or customers. Remember, by going to igloosoftware.com slash smartpeople, You'll get 10 free spots for coworkers to use Igloo, and you'll help support the show. Give it a try. Hearing your background, I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I did one of those things during my life, I'd be extremely satisfied and, and happy. So hearing your background, I'm just like, oh my gosh, just when you talked about it being all over the place and you getting experience in each and every different area, it truly is phenomenal. I think chaotic was what the recruitment consultant said. <laughs> chaotic but, sounds about right too. <laughs> but but the, the, the thing that makes me inspired is that that exposure made it apparent what the true meaning of leadership really is about for people on the ground, not for academics in business schools. And, and academics in business schools – and obviously I'm associated with one if you know and, and have connections with them all over the world is that you know they seek to find the ultimate answer 
for what is leadership about and how can we predict it. But the problem is that, that in some ways, the complexity of the journey to achieve that has meant that it's lost sometimes its connection with real people and real organizations who want to do something now. And that goes to, to, to my point about what I found. One of the things that I've done for 20, maybe 25 years, to be honest, is every group of leaders that I've worked with, I've said, okay, look, let's not me tell you what inspires you from leaders. Let's not me tell you what makes you give great performance. I want you to tell me. So look back over your career and think of the best boss that you've ever had. Think of the person who utterly inspired you, the person you'd go that extra mile for. And what did they do on a day-to-day basis that made that happen for you? And the thing I found absolutely unbelievable is that over 25 years doing this across the world with chief executives, MBA students, first-line managers, not-for-profit, public sector, military, every country you can imagine, the list was the same things. Now, there are very, very deeply thought-out books that say that leadership is different because of the culture you're in. I slightly disagree with that. What I say is that the things you have to do to get the best from people are the same the whole world over. But the way you deliver them to those people will vary with culture, will vary with generation, and will vary with other factors. But if you know what those core actions are, then at least you have a head start and you can start moving from ineffective leadership to effective leadership. And when you hear what those things were, you will then understand that actually anybody can do it. It doesn't cost any money. It doesn't need a complicated course and you can do it straight away. So the list of things that that, that keeps coming up was things like, oh, well, they kept me informed about what was going on. They set realistic but challenging targets. They made me part of a successful organization and team uh, that felt good. They respected me as a professional and as a person. They understood that I made genuine mistakes and, and backed me up when required. They developed my skills and my career. They acted with integrity and they led by example. They listened to what I said and they asked for my ideas. They let me get on with things and they didn't in to fear. They empowered me. Uh, They were fair and treated me decently. They inspired me with their enthusiasm. All the time they built trust and transparency and, and they praised and encouraged me. And actually they seemed to genuinely care about me as an individual. Now, that's the list. And when you think about that list and you say to people, is there anything on there that you couldn't do tomorrow with your people? Is there anything on there that would cost you a lot of money? Is there anything on there that you would need the board to sign off on? The answer is no. All of those things are things that people listening to this now can go and do tomorrow because they know from their own experience that that is what will make them give super performance And strangely enough, it's also what will make other people give super performance.
You know, it's it's those characteristics, and when you really look, you know, boil it down, it's treat others like human beings. And one of the questions I have for you is we have this list of characteristics, and you bring up Mach 2 leadership. Can you give a few examples of leaders that you think fall into that category? And maybe it's leaders within, you know, prominent organizations that people can look towards them and say, okay, I want to follow this type of leader. Yeah, that's you see, that's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, it's about getting things done as 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 well as this. And and I think one point to mention at this time is when you think about all of those things I've listed, we always focus on getting the job done. As you said earlier, I want to get the most out of people as a leader. When you think about the list that I've just given you, and you say, okay, if we look at this. What of those things that delivered super performance was about just the job? What of the things on that list were about how that leader works in a relationship with their people? And what are both of them? You come to some amazing conclusions. And the conclusion is that the things that relate only to the job are about 10%. Mm-hmm. The things that relate to both the job and the relationship are maybe 15%. 20%. So the things that relate to the relationship alone are 70 to 80%, depending what the other figures are. And what's that, what that is saying is that if as a leader, you focus on just getting the job done, that's all you'll get. If as a leader, you focus on inspiring people through the things that I mentioned, and then they get the job done, you get super performance. And that goes to the sort of people that that we are looking at in terms of organizational success. Because there is without doubt evidence that there is a small group of people who organizations think are delivering what the organization wants, but they're actually having a counteractive effect on the people around them. Because they're not delivering through inspiration, they're delivering through pressure. And then if you go to that point you were sort of looking at in terms of who are the leaders we should aspire to follow, it's a difficult decision because if we take Steve Jobs, for example, some people might say that the vast majority of what he got done was through inspiration. Others might say that a little bit of what Steve got done was through an element of pressure. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, the, the question is, I keep saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. As a leader, it's not what your view is about what you're doing for people that counts. It's what their view is. Um, so I, I tend not to identify specific examples because it's interesting that we go back to the idea that we should focus on the people at the top and those great corporate heroes that everyone should worship. I don't think that's right. I think we need to focus on leaders at all levels because the organization cannot work well if it just has great leaders at the top. And if the top 5%, the chief executive board and a few others have all been to Harvard, they're all the best leaders in the world, great. If the people underneath... The other 90% of leaders don't know what they're doing. 
don't know why they're doing it, don't understand where the organization's going, and to be blunt, don't really care, it's not going to happen. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's funny how we do focus on that top 5%, focus on the CEOs, like they're telling the actual workers what to do because it's not really those that level it's those managers those mid-level managers senior managers whoever it might be that actually are managing the teams of workers and they really do kind of fly under the radar in terms of the public eye but they are the ones that are inspiring their workers or not inspiring their workers and you have it absolutely right there because all the evidence shows that it's that line manager that counts. And, and that goes to the core message of the book. You know, the, the things I talked about in terms of what made you give your best, the core message of the book is, look, let's boil leadership down to its most basic two steps. One, you need to get maximum effort from your people. And then two, you need to focus that effort onto what really makes the organization perform. Now, in terms of Mac one, which is getting the best from your people, if you do the things on the list that I set out, you will start getting greater performance. Now, you know, people say, oh, yeah, that's all very nice, but, but does it make a difference? Um, you know, for example, there are many things uh, from one example in UK, uh, getting that right halved the days lost through sickness. Uh, another study showed that organizations that get that right are 71% more likely to outperform their peers in their sector. Another study showed that it could increase earnings per share by 2.6 times more than competitors who don't do that sort of stuff. Another study, it could increase revenue by 43%. Um, Another one, Accenture managed to increase net revenue by over 21% in six months by starting to get this right. Hmm. So there is a strategic benefit. But going to your point, people absolutely underestimate the power of what the line manager, your immediate boss, can do. The the things I had on that list, people say to me, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's nice stuff. You know, it makes them happy. But does it really make any difference? The figures are unbelievable. Take a couple of the things I had on that list. If you tell people how what they do contributes to the bigger picture, it can improve their performance by 28% over and above a boss that doesn't do that. If you give them accurate day-to-day feedback on how they're doing, that can improve their performance by 39%. If you have a development plan to help them improve their performance and you support it, that could be 38%. And the funny thing is, above all, even just showing that you care about your people can improve performance by 25%. Now, people say, oh, well, that's really good, but we keep losing our people to our competitors. And I say, well, yeah, interestingly, if you get that right, you can reduce the risk of that happening by up to 87%. So it's, it's a win-win situation. But then you say, okay, well, if those things are really important, what that means is that the line manager, the immediate boss, is much more important than the CEO in the daily delivery of Mac 1 high performance. And that's absolutely right because 
of what the individual does in terms of high performance or not high performance is down to their boss. And it's what that immediate boss does that determines how they respond. And that happens not just at the top, that happens at every single level all the way down to the bottom. As you're saying this, there's something in my life that I keep thinking about in terms of some people are, I think, just either, you know, I think they're born. Either they're born or they get it over time. And here's here's why. My first job out of college, I was doing commercial real estate, something that never one time, one day in my life did I actually enjoy. But my boss was, he was so talented at, um, at just running a group. There was just three of us. He took a genuine interest in everything that was going on in my life. I mean, outside of work. He put me first even before himself. So... If I made a mistake, he would often go to bat for it. Uh, when we went, when it came time to review, you know, analysts in the company, he would really put his A game in front. And I stayed at the company for four years. Three of those years, I was one of the top analysts in the entire company, and I never actually liked the job. But it, it just—I <laughs> mean—it just goes to show that what you're saying, you will get the best out of people if you provide them with what they need. Sometimes. Uh, despite their, you know, maybe some of their passion or interests. And it's because we're social beings. And you're absolutely right. People say to me, you know, all oh, this leadership stuff is complicated. I say, no, it's not. It's not complicated at all. Think about it. Organizations have to get stuff done. Simple. People in organizations have needs and aspirations they want to get done. All the leader does is allow those people to meet those needs and aspirations whilst doing what the organization wants to get done. I mean, how simple is that? And, and just people, are, I, I'm amazed the degree to which people manage to overcomplicate it. But that's also a structural issue about organizations. You know, there's research that shows that certainly big organizations are probably underperforming by 10 to 20% because they've now got so complicated that the system is frustrating them delivering their own objectives. But you're, you're right in terms of how you felt about your boss. You see, one of the interesting things is in business, we think, oh, no, 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 we mustn't talk about the emotion word. Emotion's not good. You know, emotion isn't quantifiable. Emotion you know, is something we should keep out of business. The funny thing is that emotion is absolutely critical because emotion is what drives people. And there's some interesting data from the sort of uh, marketing people who who say that when we go and buy something, you know, we'll do lots of research on the internet and then we'll go and rush out and buy it. And, and all of this internet research and talking to people is 80% logic and 20% emotion. But the research shows that the the moment we buy it, those figures flip. And why that's quite interesting is that so effectively, the decision to buy is actually an emotional decision. Now, I challenge anyone who's listening to this to put their hand on their heart and say that they have never, ever gone into a shop intending to buy one thing and come out with something completely different. If you are that one person who has never done that in your life, email me. Because I have a professor of psychology who would like to meet you.
That's pretty funny, actually. I, it's a total side note. We'll probably edit this out of the episode, but I went to the grocery store the other day. I had an exact list for exactly what I wanted to make. Ended up, and it was about $20 in ingredients and standard. Everybody does this. $100 later with like chocolate bars and, and just random stuff. And I was like, man, why does that happen? Why did I do that? There is a good example. Um, a friend of mine put his motorcycle in for servicing. And he was then seen by his wife coming back down the drive on a new motorcycle. This led to what we in HR describe as a constructive feedback conversation. Because he was not supposed to go out and buy a motorcycle. He was supposed to go out and just collect the other one that had been serviced. So it happens to us all. But the really serious point is that there is clear data that an employee's decision to give high performance is about 50, about 60% rational and 43% emotional. And what that means for leaders and particularly for chief executives is it's no good just presenting a logical business case for what you want people to do. Because if you do that, you're throwing away nearly half your ability for them to want to do it. You have to provide a personal, emotional justification for that to happen because it is going back to that list, those things that give us an emotional link that makes us perform. And we cannot get away with that because we're human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned about how for some odd reason we decided emotions don't belong in the workplace. It's just it, it, it blows my mind. And I, I think we're starting to figure it out. And with messages like yours, it's really moving it in the right direction. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you being on the show. I wanted to now give give you a chance to let our listeners know for those kind of interested in this topic, in leadership. I, I've read some of your articles online, Harvard Business Review, some other places. They're great. Um, where can people find you? Uh, where can they pick up your book? Where do you want us to link to on Smart People Podcast? All that good stuff. The website address where they could find articles, ideas, etc., is www.chrisroebuck.net and I am happy for them to steal whatever they like (laughs) because if it helps and if it makes a difference and transform lives that's uh, important to me and and that's why the 20% of the net profits of the book are going to the Red Cross so that's where the, the, the wider information is if they want to know more about the book It's also on that site, but there's a direct link, which is www.leadtosucceed.me, me, and that will take them directly to the the book. One, uh, I mean, one thing that's worth mentioning is that I've I've covered today the sort of Mac One elements of it. If at some point in the future you want to cover the Mac Two element. Because what we've done is now we've got to the point where these people are inspired and they're giving maximum effort. That's what some people call employee engagement. The challenge for organizations is that it is actually possible to be very busy doing the wrong thing, which you might have seen in your career in the past. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the second element is how do we work out 
what is really important for us to concentrate on and what is the stuff that we should forget. So if you wanted a second podcast to say, right, this is the rest of, you know, this is the result of the second stage, then I'm happy to do that. Awesome. We appreciate that. I I think it's great that you brought up the thing about the Red Cross, because I noticed that on the back of the book saying, you know, a portion of this this book goes to the Red Cross. And I wanted to ask if that was just something that Wordscapes does, or if that was something with your involvement that this is this is one of the ways that you wanted to give back. Well, it's one of the ways I wanted to give back because I spent an amazing week with the Red Cross in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you have a lot of contact with people in large organizations who moan about how tough life is and how things go wrong and all that sort of really difficult stuff they have to put up with. And you go to Myanmar six months after the country has opened and you talk to people who have to deal with the results of civil strife in two different parts of the country – tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes, virtually no health care outside the main towns, rampant malaria, dengue fever, throw in a little bit of rabies, um, floods. Yeah, Um, it's a slightly sobering experience. And you start, when you are asked to do a presentation and the president of the Red Cross and his team who have dealt with all of those things say to you that what you have said could potentially help them in the work they do, you are very humbled. And I think the presentation was called something along the lines of being able to do the most for those who need it most. And therefore, I felt that it was appropriate that 20% of the net profits of the book should go to the Red Cross because, as I said, leadership is about making a difference and transforming lives. And that's, if I can do that through the book, uh, not only in terms of getting people to be better leaders around the world, but also in terms of providing a little bit of money for the Red Cross, then it seemed to me like a good idea. Yeah, that's so awesome. Such a phenomenal thing to do. And again, Chris, thank you so much. You know, we'll make sure to link to the book, Lead to Succeed, the only leadership book you need on smartpeoplepodcast.com. And then let them know all your personal websites and where they can find out more information. And thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge. We really do appreciate it. The most important thing is that if people think the message makes sense, It really is okay for me to ramble on for an hour to you guys. (laughs) But what it really is about is people who have heard this going into their organizations, be they large or small, and not forgetting that the impact of what they do not only affects those people's work lives, but it affects those people's personal lives as well. And... It is really about that. It's about the we and not the me, and it's about making a difference because if they do make a difference to how they lead at work, it can transform people's lives and people will want to come to work and people will reward both the leader and the company significantly. So just go and do it. (laughs) Yeah, we need more of that. Thank you so much, Chris. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Chris Roebuck. 
Don't forget the first 25 listeners to email Chris at chris at chrisroebuck.net will get a free copy of his book, Lead to Succeed, the only leadership book you need. Additionally, the first 100 people to order the book through www.leadtosucceed.me will get a signed copy of the book. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview and took as much out of it as both Chris and I did. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and comment there. It truly does help out the show, and we appreciate each and every one of you that leave a glowing review over there. Thank you. Thank you very much. As always, if you want to reach out, you can send us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message over on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. See you guys next week. 